The text is John 15, 26 to 33. And the title of the message, I don't hear me either. Am I not on? Testing, one, two, three. My mic's on, but I don't hear me. Okay, there we go. Now there's sound. So hopefully the, uh, the video will have sound. So the title of the message is, It's All Going to Work Out. Last week, the main thing that we learned, if you'll click the button, was the world will hate and persecute you. That's a fact. That's what Jesus told us. We pick up in John chapter 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also, he will also, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, it's an interesting thing what's happening is we see the chapter is divided here. That's the end of the chapter. But it's just one of those things where you wonder where the guy who decided to divide it into chapters, who was simply a book publisher, when he decided to divide it into chapters, did he just get to the end of chapter 15? You think that's enough, that's big enough, that's long enough. We just need to cut it off here, take a break, because it's absolutely connected to chapter 16. It really doesn't make sense that it's disconnected like this, but he's introducing this concept of the Holy Spirit. He's already talked about it a little bit earlier. Now he's bringing it up again. He will pause and bring it up, bring it up further in our text today. But he mentions that the Holy Spirit is the helper. The translators of the English Standard Version decided to capitalize that. I like, the, I like it when the he is capitalized when it's referring to Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. So I like that. However, that's not what the literal translation would be. It's not capitalized in the original. But the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. And Jesus is saying he's going to send. So David talked about the Holy Spirit. If you'll recall, David said, there was a couple of times where he said, do not take your spirit from me. So David had the spirit. The Holy Spirit is a thing. It's been talked about several times, but there is something new that's going to happen with the spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we move along. The spirit of truth. We'll talk about that as well. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Several roles of the Holy Spirit, several things to talk about. We certainly cannot, in one message, do it all, but we'll mention many of them. And the disciples are told that they are going to be his witnesses, and they do. But let's go ahead and look at the first verse in John chapter 16. I've said all these things to you to keep you, from falling away. He tells us up front, that's his purpose. I say, I, I've told you these things to keep you from falling away. Of course he did. He's already told us this repeatedly time and time again. But some people have been raised in churches where they have been taught. Some people have been paying attention too much to televangelists or 
Christian broadcasting type things. Some have listened to radio preachers. Some have read too many books that talk about once saved, always saved. Jesus himself said, I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away. But there's plenty of people out there that will tell you, well, that's not possible. You can't fall away. So that means they think Jesus is ignorant. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about, don't you? In fact, let's back up into chapter 15. Let's just remind ourselves. Look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and following. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Watch this as J.C. clicks. There are five times in four verses where it mentions Jesus. is He is actually imploring them, stay in me, abide in me. Five times in four verses, Jesus says, abide in me. He's imploring us to stay connected to him. And then in our text today, he says, I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away. So this concept of one saved, always saved is a fabricated false teaching of man. It does not belong in the church. It's, it's what leads a lot of pre- people to error. They think that they are so secure in their salvation that no matter what they do, they're always going to go to heaven. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they do mass murders or something else. And it doesn't matter. I'm saved. Do whatever. That's a false teaching. It belongs out of the church. It causes people to think they can just do whatever. And sin separates from God. Don't fall into that trap. I know it might be comforting to people, but it is what's led many people to fall away. Jesus doesn't want them to fall away. He's imploring His disciples, stay connected. In fact, Jesus wants His disciples to stay connected to Him. We don't want to lose that concept. You see that on the next slide. But the devil wants people disconnected from Him. And that definitely says this is a possibility. It's a possibility to disconnect. Why else would he keep imploring us to stay connected? Why else would he say, I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away? And if the devil wants us to be disconnected from Jesus, then wouldn't it be in his best interest to convince us that that's not possible to disconnect? Oh, it's not not even possible. Don't worry about it. Of course, if he can convince us there's no way you can ever disconnect from him, then we can ignore all those things Jesus is saying about don't disconnect. I don't want you to disconnect. I want you to stay connected. If you disconnect from me, you're going to be burned in the fire. So if the devil can convince people, oh, that's not even possible, just black out those parts of your Bible. Well, then nobody's really going to do that. 
But isn't that really metaphorically what they're doing? And if he can convince us to black out parts of our Bible, can't trust any of it then, can you? And the devil wins. I think it could be argued that if you want to argue that it's impossible to disconnect from Jesus, you're already disconnecting. Don't do it. So back, look at our text again. You'll see we've already read it. But he clearly says, says, I want you to focus on that part. John chapter 16, verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away, but don't forget the first part of the text where he introduces the concept of something special is going to happen. He's going to send the Holy Spirit in a different way. The reason why I want you to hang on to that is because he's going to get back to that in a little bit. I also want you to pay attention very heavily to this term falling away. I want you to focus on that because people, this is what they do. They say, well... If you're going to say that people can fall away, then, then they were never saved to begin with. That's, that's the problem. They, 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 and I, I get it. I get that you don't want to... You don't, I don't understand why anybody, once they're connected to Jesus, I don't know why anybody would ever want to disconnect. It makes no sense to me. It's not reasonable. But the reality is, Jesus warns us against it, which means it's possible. I remember I was in Missouri when Jeff Adams, Pastor Jeff Adams, if you look up Pastor Jeff Adams, you'll find me, but you'll also find another guy that looks like the guy on the Adams family, uh, the, the, the dad. He's actually, his name's Jeff Adams. He was a preacher in Kansas City from a Baptist church there. And there were times when we'd have the television on on Sunday mornings listening to his preaching because he was the only one that was on TV at the time in the area. So we had him on one Sunday morning, and I wanted to hear what he had to say because he was here in a passage in the Bible where it mentioned falling away. Well, how's he going to handle that? Because I know he doesn't believe that you can. So he read it, and I'm going to read that passage in a minute, but he read the passage and I thought, okay, here he's going he's gonna to deal with it. But he didn't. All he said was, you can't. And then he went on. He completely ignored the Scripture because he had a different belief. He was taught a certain way. So that's what he preached to his church, and it was broadcast to all these people who listened to him. What was that passage? Well, I will read it to you now. Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been once been enlightened. That's a, the idea is that a light bulb goes off in your head spiritually. Oh, Jesus is real. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. If you read in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus tasted death, which means he died. So they have the heavenly gift, and they've shared in the Holy Spirit, which means they are Christians, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and then have fallen away. It's impossible if those people who were once Christians have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. It says that once a Christian falls away, they can't be brought back to repentance. 
And that's heavy. I know some of you hear that and you go, oh my goodness, am I fallen away? No. See, if you, you can even ask yourself the question, am I one that has fallen away? Then you're capable of repenting. Repenting means changing your mind. If you're capable of changing your mind, then you're not utterly fallen away. That's what this says. Those people who are utterly fallen away, they can't even repent. It's not possible for them. And it's not my job and it's not your job to decide who's utterly fallen away. That God's the judge, not me, not you. We lose sleep over losing a loved one who we're not sure if they were close to Christ when they died. Guess what? God's a fair God, and he's the judge, not you and not me. We, don't, we shouldn't have to dwell on that. Trust God. But the reality is you can fall away. Jesus said it, and the writer of Hebrews said it. Scripture teaches that you can, and anyone who teaches anything else is teaching false doctrine. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not, I am not telling you, this is my opinion. I'm, I just read to you two passages that warn against falling away. Two of them. In your Bibles, it says this. It's not my opinion. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of our passage again, and we'll read further. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away, Jesus said. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. The first part of verse 4, But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you, re you may remember that I told them to you. I told these things to you. I warned you. Now, we'll give this test a sound test. What is my favorite Christmas movie? I don't know if I've told you yet, but I will tell you now by the trailer that came out in the 90s. My favorite Christmas movie. Can you turn it up, please? That's my favorite Christmas movie. There is a, about a, 
There's about a five-second scene in there where they have Christmas decorations and a little bit of a Christmas scene. But why am I showing you this? Yeah, there's, there's a reason for that. Go back to our text. You'll see this next slide. He says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you would think he's offering service to God. That's exactly what happened. The disciples were, one by one, they were tormented because of their beliefs. They were persecuted. They were treated as if they were nobody and know-nothings. Yet they were the disciples of Jesus. They were carrying the torch after he was gone. Yet they were treated with such contempt. And this happens today. Some of the best preachers that I have ever heard were pushed out of preaching permanently. Not because of anything they did. Because they stood up for the truth. And people don't want to hear it sometimes. Some of the best preachers I've ever heard stopped preaching because they were rejected. Some of the most solid Christians I've ever met have been rejected by churches because their faith was so strong, it was too much for others to handle. And he's telling his disciples, you are going to get rejected. Now, in this movie that I said is my favorite Christmas movie, and I say that to be funny because there's only a small Christmas scene in it, but I, it is definitely one of my favorite movies. <clears throat> but there is a scene in the movie, probably the most powerful scene of the whole movie. Have, how many of you have seen the movie? Raise your hand. Two? Stephanie? No, Tim's seen it? All right. So there's a couple of people. It's called Soldier, and I highly recommend owning the movie. <laughs> it's Kurt Russell's best movie, in my opinion. He is, he's definitely more fit in that movie than he was in Escape from New York. But, but Kurt Russell in this movie plays, uh, like it said in the movie, if you could hear it, um, he uh, was selected from birth from a bunch of babies that were generated to become soldiers. And they picked the babies that didn't cry much to be soldiers. And then they raised them up, and from the time they could do anything, they're being raised and trained, and they're com completely being groomed to be the best soldiers ever. And uh, he grows up and becomes an elite soldier. But then he gets old, and they bring in some new soldiers that have been trained similarly, and they drug them up. And these soldiers are faster, and they've got more training, but they've never been battle-tested. So what do you do with the old soldiers that are no good? Well, you throw them away. They're worthless. So he was discarded and left for dead on a planet in the future, of obviously, where they throw trash. And there's a bunch of civilians on this planet that are also outcasts discarded people. And here's this soldier who shows up, who doesn't even know how to interact with other humans except for killing them. But the, the community welcomes him. 
until he begins to teach a little boy how to protect himself and his family from a little venomous snake. And it scares them. Oh no, we can't, we can't teach the little boy how to kill a snake that might kill us. So they're all scared. So they reject him. So he's been rejected as a soldier. And as he begins to start to have feelings for the first time in his life for these people that are nice to him, they reject him because he makes them nervous. And the scene is a powerful scene, the most powerful scene in the movie. He's in a tunnel. In this tunnel, he's by himself looking out at the city where all the people are. He's very alone, rejected. All he was trying to do was to help these people so they could learn how to protect themselves. They didn't want that. And the disciples Jesus has put in place so the world can come to know the good news that will save them. The world doesn't want to hear that. They want to keep doing what they want to do. Have you not noticed? The world doesn't want to hear Christians. They don't want to hear our perspective. Everything's fine as long as it doesn't have any conflict with what the world wants to do. Once you conflict with that, once you say anything that might be taken as judgmental or critical because, well, we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. Well, time to get rid of the Christians. Time to get rid of Christianity. Jesus is warning us. Time is coming. People aren't going to put up with this reasonable stuff. They're not going to put up with you. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. And that's why that's my favorite movie, because I think that most of us could relate to Kurt Russell. If you have stood up for the cause of Christ any time in your life, more than likely, you've had to experience being pushed away because people don't want to hear it. The second part of the verse continues in our text. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So in other words, this helper he's talking about, you, you need the helper. You're going to need it. People are going to come after you, and you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. I don't want to leave you alone. I've got some big help coming, and I can't send the help unless I go. Why does he mention, now you're, you don't even know the whole story, but you're sorrowful. Why does he say that? Because, remember, they've left the upper room with that intimate discussion where there was foot washing, where the communion was instituted, and where he says, Judas, go do what you're going to do. You're going to betray me. And then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Jesus within 24 hours, is going to be dead. They don't understand this, even though he's told them. They just don't, they don't understand. But they feel the heaviness as they're walking at night towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus stops every now and then. All 11 of his disciples, he stops and he starts talking to them. 
And as they keep doing this, they're feeling this weightiness. Something's about to happen. Why does he keep telling us these heavy things? Why does he tell us that people are going to hate us and persecute us and kick us out of the synagogues and, and then kill us? What is, what's happening? So I don't know if they're crying, but he definitely can tell there's a lump in their throats because he says to them, you're upset and you don't even know what's going to happen. I can't even, I can't even tell you. In a minute, he's going to say that. I can't even tell you. I, there's other things I can't tell you. I've told you these things because you need to know. I didn't tell you before, but I'm telling you now. Hard times are coming. And I have to do this. And I have to go. So I can send you the help you need. He talks more about the Holy Spirit. He continues in our text. And when he comes, he will, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned several times, so now I want to talk about things concerning the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, we will do that. Things concerning the Holy Spirit. We'll go through these one at a time. First of all, here's one thing. Conviction. The conviction of the Spirit can happen to you before you ever have the Holy Spirit in you. It's what happens oftentimes when someone gives you some very godly biblical advice. If you listen, you might feel convicted. I need to change. The second thing, there's many of these things, by the way, indwelling. It's good to talk about the indwelling spirit. The indwelling spirit is what Jesus is talking about when he's going to send the helper you're going to have the helper in you. And this, this is something that's not happened before, but it's symbolic at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And this only happened two times in Jesus' lifetime at the transfiguration and earlier at his baptism. The Holy Spirit is promised on the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches, you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit if you're baptized into Christ. So that's the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the power of God in you to be able to get through whatever you have to go through in life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Third thing concerning the Holy Spirit, manifestations, otherwise known as gifts. You see these things play out in the New Testament as a way to be a, a sign for others to know that this Christianity thing is real. And it was instituted for the incipient church, the early church, so that others could see and believe and know this is very real. God's stamp of approval is on this, but it is not for the mature church. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you should read that. It is not for the mature church. But they're special, and you can read all about it throughout the book of Acts as well. The fourth thing, motivations. And by the way, all of these things are intertwined, 
But don't get confused between indwelling and manifestations. There's no absolute connection between indwelling and manifestations. In other words, once, just because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit because you've been baptized in Christ does not necessarily mean you're going to be gifted with super, supernatural manifestations. Don't expect that. Don't think that because you're going to fall into a trap if you do. But motivations, the Holy Spirit is one of those things that motivates you. Maybe you've experienced this where you've become a Christian, you've been baptized into Christ, but then you start down that path of doing things you know you're not supposed to do. And then you don't do the things you know you're supposed to do. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 7, after he talks about baptism, after he talks about being risen anew at baptism to begin your new life, you buried your old self, and then he says, I keep on sinning. I don't do the things I know I'm supposed to do, and then the things I, I'm not supposed to do, those very things I keep on doing. So we're going to mess up. Maybe you've experienced it. You've become a Christian, and yet you still do things you're not supposed to do. Of course, we're, gonna, we're not going to live in sin. We're not going to have continual sin, but we'll mess up. And when we mess up, or maybe when we're tempted to mess up, we have this thought. I don't think I should do that. Let me clue you in. That's not you. That's not you doing that. That's the spirit in you going, hey, 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 don't. Give God the credit where credit is due. That's motivation. There's more we could talk about, but like I said, we can't do it all in one message, and I'm just going to give you a bunch of stuff. Here's the fifth thing, inspiration. That's something the Holy Spirit does. We have our Bibles. This is inspired. Holy Spirit did that. Next, fellowship. We fellowship with the Holy Spirit, also spoken about in Scripture. Next thing, comforting. The Spirit will comfort you in your time of need. You're going to go through things, if you haven't already, that you would think you could never endure. Spirit will help you through His comfort. And there's more. Companionship. Yes, we have that. We're even told that when we don't know how to pray, He will make intercessions for us. He will actually plead with God. What a friend. Counseling. Jesus has mentioned the counselor is coming. I'm not going to leave you alone. To counsel us through the difficulties of life, the Holy Spirit is there. Guidance. The Holy Spirit guides us as well. Scripture teaches that. There's more. Helping. Jesus refers to him a couple of times as the helper, when the helper comes. So he's going to help us. Think of it like this. It's like railing. Wherever you go in life, there's always railing to hold on to. When you're younger, you don't really need it. Many times I remember in the back of a pickup truck, after doing stuff in the back, you know, whatever, you're hauling wood or whatever it is. And as a young man, when you get out of the pickup truck, the way you do it is you just jump off. But as you get older... When you think about getting out of that pickup truck, you're looking for the side of it, and you're, you're going to be careful. You know, things break now. This is one of those things. But through life, whatever the difficulties are, there's railing. Something to hold on to. You're not doing this by yourself. That's the helping. Next. Intercessions. That's the part where the Spirit will make intercessions on our behalf to the Father. Next. 
Role of the Trinity. We certainly could talk about that. How does the Holy Spirit fit into this? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a deep subject. That could certainly cover a whole Sunday morning sermon series. And the last thing I'm going to name here this morning is empowering. The Holy Spirit can enable you, to, can empower you to, to get through such hard things. You can come out like a rock star when you thought you'd be devastated because that's the power of God in us. And I'll put the word etc. or the abbreviation for etc. up there because there's many more things we could talk about concerning the Holy Spirit. This is just some. These are just some of the things that we could talk about concerning the Holy Spirit. So I want to make sure you're aware there's a lot we could be talking about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's a big subject. But I want to tell you, you need to exercise caution. Anytime you're dealing with biblical matters, you should exercise caution. But I want to remind you of a time when Jesus was casting out demons and people then came and started accusing him of being demon-possessed because he could cast out demons. It makes no sense, but that's what they did. Oh, anybody who could cast out demons must be one of them. He must be possessed. And Jesus explained to them something in great detail. And in the middle of it is a very familiar passage I want to read to you now. Out of Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Therefore, I'll t- I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And there are many preachers and authors and teachers and televangelists and experts that are going to tell you, well, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it means that you have to live your whole life rejecting Jesus. If God meant that, he would have said that. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus, if you read that in context, you will see Jesus goes on to actually clearly spell out exactly what blasphemy means. Jesus says, because blasphemy means to speak against. That's what it means. Jesus says, if you speak against man, you'll be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you will not. So blasphemy means speak against. (laughs) Jesus explained it. That's what the definition is anyway. We shouldn't have to have him. But I think in God's infinite wisdom, he gave us the extra words of Jesus that had him explain, well, let me tell you what I mean when I say blasphemy. I mean, speak against. So if anyone speaks against the Holy Spirit, they will not be forgiven. What is that? How does that have to do with anything we're talking about? Because there are people, I I believe that speaking against the Holy Spirit would include, because Jesus did this in the context of him being accused of having an evil spirit. So if you attribute something to the Holy Spirit that is not of the Holy Spirit, that would be speaking against the Holy Spirit. If you attribute something that is the Holy Spirit to something that is evil, that would be speaking against the Holy Spirit. I believe it includes both. So you don't say that that's demon possession when it's of the Spirit, and you don't say that's of the Spirit when it's demon possession. That would be speaking against the Holy Spirit. Pay careful attention, because some of you have been in churches where people say, getting slain in the Spirit 
This is, this is, by the way, that's not in Scripture anywhere. That's made up. But what is it? What is getting slain in the Spirit? If you've been in a church that uses this phrase, what people do, and let me give you some history. If you don't know, you could look it up and find it for yourself. But there is a thing in my home state and other southern states in the deep south. Voodoo was a very big deal in the early stages of American history. Voodoo was a thing that was brought over from foreign countries. And as people began to learn more about Christianity, they didn't know any better, but they thought their voodoo was spiritual and Christianity is spiritual, and they began to mix them. There was a thing called hoodoo. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's where they mixed Christianity and voodoo, and they thought this was what you do. Because the way it worked is they had churches that sprung up from people from foreign countries. They were not allowed to worship with others, so they had to worship on their own. They had to figure it out on their own. And as they were trying to understand the Bible, they thought they could bring in some of their other spiritual stuff that they were clinging to, came up with their own stuff. One of those things they began doing was wallowing around on the floor, convulsing, and saying a spirit's doing it. And maybe a spirit was. But this came into our churches. And people, I don't, I don't know if you've ever read in the Bible, look for what you've seen in some churches. They think this, you can YouTube it. You can YouTube a charismatic church service or a Pentecostal church service or a slain in the spirit. And you'll see people gyrating around and you'll see people fall on the floor convulsing and hurting themselves sometimes, like hitting a pew or hitting a chair or falling on somebody. They actually train ushers to catch people so they don't bust their heads when they fall. The Holy Spirit just come into me and caused me to break my hip. Really? Where in the Bible do you see people when a spirit gets a hold of them and it throws them violently on the ground, harming themselves? Is that ever the Holy Spirit? Or is it always demon possession? That's why I say exercise caution. People actually attribute things to the Holy Spirit that are not of God at all. And then what happens? So if we did that in here, let's say we decided somebody comes to visit and they say, you know what? I know what it's like to be slain in the Spirit. Watch this. They fall on the floor and start, you know, and then we call 911 because we, we haven't seen it maybe. But anyway, oh, what's happening? And then they tell everybody, that's the Spirit. God came in me. Did you see that? That was supernatural. And what happens is younger people who don't know any better, new people in Christ who don't know any better, they think, oh, if I'm going to be spiritual, i got to do that. So then more people do it. And I can't tell you the countless number of people who've confessed to me that they faked it because they saw somebody else do it. Don't attribute to the Holy Spirit things that are not of the Holy Spirit. Don't accuse Somebody who's doing Holy Spirit stuff of doing something evil. I had this happen, and this might benefit you to know this. We were going through a Bible study, and I was in Jude. If you haven't read Jude, it's a very short book. And uh, as I was reading through it, you know, where it says that uh, Moses, when he argued, I'm sorry, when the... um, 
uh, archangel, yeah, when they're arguing against uh, Gabriel about what to do with the uh, things, that even the archangel was unwilling to accuse the evil spirit of anything, was unwilling to say, I rebuke you. Now, I don't know if you've been around people who do this, but this is very, very common in the same churches that do the wallowing on the, around on the floor stuff. They have a habit of trying to, they feel like it's more spiritual, so when something's going on, they like to get, do this. They like to say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Satan, I rebuke you. The first time I experienced this was at a church camp. I was in the middle of prayer. I don't know if, if, you, if you're in prayer with people, like earlier when I was praying and, and then uh, others prayed. When one person's praying, what I do when I'm in prayer and somebody else is leading the prayer, I'm tr- repeating those words in my head. I'm listening to them and I'm saying things in my mind like, yes, Jesus, please help that person. Please heal that person. I'm, that's what I'm doing. So I'm with the prayer, not just listening. I'm engaged. Most people do that. I was at a church camp. There was a youth minister who's standing up and he's praying. And he actually, at some different times in the prayer, he's talking directly to Jesus, which is okay. John 14 says it is. So he's talking directly to Jesus. And in the middle of the prayer, well, I'm like, yes, Jesus, yes, please. He says, and Satan, I rebuke you. And it's in the middle of this prayer that I'm in with him, I'm praying to the devil. Because I'm, you know, I'm in the prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. Yes, please. And then all of a sudden, he's praying to the devil in the middle of a prayer. To Jesus. And I can tell you right then and there, that did not go well inside me. Uh, I don't think it pleased the Lord. In the middle of a prayer with Jesus, a conversation with Jesus, all of a sudden it shifted, and now I'm talking to the devil. I'm praying to the devil. This is what happens. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Well, so I'm in a Bible study, and uh, in this Bible study in Yelm, Washington, a very, very godly couple. They've been in Christianity for a long time. And I read the passage there, and it says what the archangel did is, instead of saying, I rebuke you, the archangel said, may the Lord rebuke you. And the passage is teaching us not to be so arrogant that we think we can do that. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No, may the Lord rebuke you. It's a great thing to learn that. I had a woman call me on the phone who believed that there was an evil spirit in her home. And it was so scary that it, it shook me. She calls me. She's on the phone in the middle of this conversation. She's like, oh, he's, he's here. And her family's there. You can hear her family panicking too. And like, I'm feeling it. I'm like, over the phone, I'm feeling this. I'm not even there. And I, so I told her to grab her Bible, and I told her where to turn, and I said, I want you to read this out loud. Can you do it? And there's chaos you know, happening all around her. So she reads her Bible, may the Lord rebuke you. And then when she did that, she made the same kind of a gasp. She goes, oh. I said, what, what happened? She goes, it's gone. Hey, it works. The Bible works. How about that? So I'm, I'm doing this Bible study, and I'm telling these people, that we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to say, may the Lord rebuke you, not I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And the woman said, well, I got to tell you, we went and visited a witch. And when we visited her, we didn't know she was a witch, but we went into her, she was in a trailer, went into her trailer and uh, she knew we were Christians and we're in there trying to minister to her. And she got so angry 
that at one particular um, point, the, uh, I don't remember how the story went, but I know, I remember there was a bowl of popcorn that apparently she said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus to this woman. And this bowl of popcorn apparently flew across this coffee table and hit a TV or something or hit the wall and just went everywhere without anybody touching it. And her husband, a very godly man, said, I saw it. It was there. I saw it happen. It did happen. She just said those words and then that flew and there it is. So she said, so see, if you say I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, it works. So I'm not going to stop. Huh? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So if the devil could get a nice couple like you, that's very godly, very good godly Christian people, to go around and repeat a story like that and get people to say, you know what, I know the Bible says this, but I know a story. And I tell you what, it's a powerful story. And something flew across and it hit the wall. Popcorn went everywhere. I mean, it was spiritual. So I'm telling you, it works. So if you can get, if you get a nice couple like you can convince a bunch of people to put this aside and ignore what it says, hasn't he won? And yes. And so she argued with me a little bit more, and her husband grabbed her hand and said, Honey, it says right here, you're not supposed to do that. So the question is, if the, does the devil have power? Yeah. Could he move a bowl of popcorn across the table? Sure. But would he do that if it would benefit him in such a way that he could get a bunch of godly people to put aside their Bible? Who cares what that says? I know what I felt, and I know what I saw, and I know what I experienced. Of course the devil's going to do that. If he can get people to put their Bibles aside, godly people who love Jesus, just have them put their Bibles aside and don't follow it. Yes! They can get you to go down that path where you're blacking out parts of your Bible by your behavior. He's got you. That's why I say exercise caution. <clears throat> if the Bible says not even the archangel Michael was willing to confront, but said, may the Lord rebuke you, then that's what we do, people of God. So be careful. Don't be guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So if you're confused on this and it bothers you a little bit, I want to give you something. Uh, behind me, you'll see a, a book, Charismatic Chaos. And I, oftentimes I'll make recommendations and I forget to bring the book. I've got a copy in my pocket. This is not a pocket-sized Bible. I just have big pockets. So I'm going to leave it right up here. It's got my name on it, so you can return it to me. But it's by John F. MacArthur, Jr. It's called Charismatic Chaos. Whoever wants to borrow it, borrow it. Just please return it. Uh, men who are in the church who come to our uh, God-yielding men, men's breakfast. If you want to read the book, great. But there is a lot of material in your notebooks that already covers pretty much what you need to handle that kind of stuff. But I want to give you a quote from John F. MacArthur Jr. from the book. The truth is, it doesn't matter what a verse means to me, to you, or to anyone else, all that matters is what the verse means. Do you get it? Doesn't matter how we feel. What matters is what it actually says and what it means. So be careful.
All right, so let's go back to our text. You'll see it again up behind me. We've already read most of that. But down in verse 11, I don't want you to fail to notice this phrase, ruler of this world, concerning judgment. What Jesus says is concerning righteousness because down in verse 10, I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, which is a wonderful thing if you think about it. If the devil is judged, what's, how does he get judged? What does that mean? That means when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death. And the devil's fate was absolutely sealed for all eternity. And, and Jesus, is, he's taught, you should read everything you can read in the New Testament about how evil has no power over those of us that are connected to Christ. None. So don't give him any. There is none. He has none. If you're connected to Christ, he has nothing over you. You have Christ and you have everything at your disposable, disposal for your own success, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. But the devil is absolutely limited. And he says here in verse 11, the ruler of this world. You might not have caught what just happened in your own brains, but you already accepted that the devil is the ruler of this world because Jesus said so. You, you already knew this. When you talk about God's sovereignty, God can do what He wants, when He wants, to whoever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants, because He's God. He's sovereign. But the reality is He gives us all choices. Because we have choices, we make choices that have consequences. And that's, that's not God causing bad things to happen, but bad things just happen. But He is sovereign, but He allows us to make choices and he gives the devil a little bit of power. But the world mostly rejects Jesus. That's why the ruler of this world is the devil. Now, there was an album that came out. I'll show you its Twyla Paris album. I don't know if you know much about Twyla Paris. Anybody here know much about Twyla Paris? Raise your hand. That's some, yeah. She did some great songs. Twyla Paris is the... Uh, daughter of Oren uh, Paris II, the founder of Youth with a Mission. Uh, and her brother is no longer in prison. Uh, he got out when COVID happened in the uh, William Barr. Do you remember his name? You should. He was heavily involved in, he was, he's the attorney general for the state of Arkansas now, but he used to be federally appointed. But William Barr uh, did what many others did in many other states. When COVID hit, they started releasing hardened and unprepared criminals out um, into the streets. And that happened to her brother. He was, uh, he was a scammer. He uh, had a business out of Springdale, Arkansas, at the former headquarters of Youth With a Mission. <clears throat> but Twyla Paris came out with a song and it's called God is in Control back in, you'll see when he clicks it, 1993 is when that song was released. It was, a, it was number one on the Christian charts across the board around the world in the early part of 1994 in February. Many of you have heard the song, God is in Control. And because it was a popular song, then youth ministers and preachers just grabbed a hold of it and ran with it. And it's in a whole bunch of books now. And oh, so many people just, they fully believe this God is in control. 
But my Bible and your Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the NIV version, you'll see it up behind me. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It's my Bible. It's your Bible. Jesus said that the ruler of this world is the devil, as he's talking about. And he's coming to judgment. He's the ruler of this world. My Bible and your Bible says that he's the one that's in control because everybody, for the most part, the, large, the vast majority, submits to the devil because if you're not for me, you're against me, Jesus said. And very few people actually commit to Christ. Didn't he say it's a narrow gate and only few will enter through it? Yeah. So the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we've bought into this. And Twyla Paris wrote the song because she's talking about the sovereignty of God. In her life, I'm sure God is in control. In my life, I've given control to God. He's in control of my life. But when it comes to the world, mm -mm. no. No, he's chosen to allow us to have free will. So the majority of the world is under the control of the evil one. If you dare to turn on the news, and I hope you don't do it much, you can see who's in control. It's not God. Are you paying attention to what's happening? This isn't God that's in... Look at what's happening to the world all around us. This isn't God doing all this. But what happens is people blame God. You know, God is in control. People didn't flip it into, well, His will always happens because He's the one controlling everything. If God's will always happens, then it's God's fault that that drunk driver hit my family member and killed him. It's God's fault that my cousin's a meth addict now. It's God's fault. All these different things we blame God for because, hey, He's the one that's in control. He did it. You hear the atheists do this. Well, if... God's so loving, then why this? And why that? Why this? Because we buy into this idea that God's controlling everything. No, He's not. He gives us choice. He gives us free will. And the world is ruled by the evil one. That's what Jesus said. Didn't want you to miss that part in our text. It's kind of a significant thing. In the last part... Not the very last part, but the last part of this chunk. John chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus, as he's got his disciples very emotional with the lumps in their throats, like, what is about to happen? He's not gonna, we're not going to see him anymore? What, what, what's going to happen? You're going to be hated. People are going to persecute you. They're going to be happy. They're going to think they did a good thing by killing you. What? And then he says, I've got more to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. Is it possible that there are times when Jesus has something for you, but you can't handle it right now? Is it possible that there might become a, come a time when you're sitting in a Sunday school class or in a Bible study or in a church service and God might have something for you and you can't handle it? Why might that be? Later, Jesus will tell them some more things. 
But right now, they can't handle it. They've reached the limit of what they can know. This is it. The text continues, picking up with verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And he's specifically talking about when he leaves, he is going to provide through the Spirit direct revelation to his disciples. That's what he's doing. And that's what he does. And we wind up in the end of it all with a Bible, which is wonderful. But he's telling them, they will get this stuff later, and it's going to come through the Holy Spirit. That's a cool thing. Now, let's review because we've reached the end of our text. I wanted you to see that the Holy Spirit talk at the beginning, Holy Spirit at the end, but in the middle, heavy talk. All right, so we're reviewing. Just four things. Jesus tells us hard things so that we will be equipped to stay connected to Him. He implores us. He wants us to abide in Him. Don't let somebody tell you it's impossible for you to disconnect from him because the minute you start thinking that is when you start doing it. If you think that what Jesus said is just not true because I was taught something else, you're starting to disconnect from him. And then what happens is so easy. The next step is so easy. You know, there's that Sunday morning where you wake up and you got a headache or whatever and you just think it's best to Take care of yourself, your body, the temple, so you're going to stay in bed. That's a good thing if you need to do that. And the next week comes, and like, you know what? It felt so good to sleep in last week. I think I'm going to sleep in this week. Nothing wrong with me, but I'm not going. And then you got two weeks you've missed. And then it's easy after that to miss three weeks, and like, you know what? I don't really like that church anyway, because that one person one time, I felt they were judging me because of whatever. So easy to start disconnecting. Once you start believing, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm okay. He's going to forgive me. I can start this one habit again. It doesn't matter. Jesus tells us hard things so that we will be equipped to stay connected to Him. Second thing, Jesus refrains from telling us hard things when we cannot handle it. He did that with His disciples. I would tell you more right now but you can't bear it. So we'll wait. And for those of you that are seasoned Christians, maybe it would behoove you in a time when you're trying to impart wisdom to your child or your grandchild or your neighbor. Think about it first. As James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and that slow to speak part. Maybe you should consider the consequences of your words. Can they handle it or much you want to wait until they can. Sometimes we get a little bit presumptive and we get ahead of ourselves. And instead of ministering to people, we run them off. Consider whether they can handle it before you share it. Jesus did that. He set an example. We should learn from it. Third thing. The Holy Spirit is a key player in the support system the Father has designed and put in place for our success. You are not alone. 
Even if you physically might be alone, you are not alone. And fourth, if we stay connected to Jesus, it's all going to work out. I want to give you a passage in the Bible. You'll see it come up behind me. Romans 8, 28. It's my favorite. (laughs) And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So let me say it to you and contextualize it with our passage today. Stay connected to Jesus, and it's all going to work out. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much to set things in motion so that we can succeed in this life here on earth. May what we do in our response to that and our daily living, may it bring glory and honor to you. We do want to stay close. Keep us close, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.